If you're visiting with us today, we're doing a series where we're seeking to understand the story of the Bible. And we're looking at it through the promises that God joyfully bound himself to in, in the covenants. We saw last week the Abrahamic covenant. And we learned if you understand the promises of the Abrahamic covenant, these five key promises, you understand the structure, the backbone, the movement, the why behind the story which we read in the Old Testament, which really becomes the foundation to the story of the New Testament. Uh, let me review those five for you. Just uh, if you remember, there's a promise of a land, of a seed, which is a people, of a blessing, which is God's goodness upon them, the promise that God will be their God, and then finally that in Abraham's seed, all the nations of the world should be blessed. Uh, in the Old Testament, they call that the Messiah. In the New Testament, they call that the Christ, that's Jesus, who's really the main character of the whole story that we see all the way back from the beginning as there's a looking and a building towards the coming of Jesus and what he did for us and is going to do when he returns again. That drives the whole story, those five promises. Well, this morning we're going to look at the Mosaic Covenant, which is the principle by which God has determined he would deal with his seed, the nation of Israel. And what we're going to see here is, is it explains to us the twist and the turns of that story. Because those promises, you think, wow, God just kind of pulled that off. But we're going to see and understand why there's so many twists and turns and ups and downs in this story of the Old Testament as we understand the principle of the Mosaic Covenant. And what we're also going to learn is this. We're going to find the ministry and the structure of all the prophets in the Old Testament. If you could just take last week those five promises and you take the principle we learned today in the Mosaic Law, you're going to have the basic framework you're going to need to read the Old Testament and understand what's going on and get the flow of the story, get the thread of the story, and understand the why behind each individual story. So let me tell you about one key difference between these two covenants. Turn to Galatians chapter 3 to start. Because we're going to see in Galatians 3 that the Abrahamic covenant was actually put in place 430 years before the Mosaic covenant. And we're going to learn that this Abrahamic covenant we learned last week is an everlasting covenant that is yet to be fulfilled in the future. But the Mosaic covenant was only temporary and it lasted only until the cross. And we're also going to learn as we read this that I want you to watch for is, is that the Mosaic Covenant does not change the Abrahamic promises in any way, nor does it supersede and become the new. You know, some people look at the covenants and think, well, we have this period of time and then this period of time and then this period of time and kind of they're separate and this one overruns that one. 
we're going to see that the Abrahamic covenant, the foundational covenant, the five key promises God made run throughout history and into eternity. But the Mosaic covenant we're going to see is going to end at the cross. So as we read, I hope you're at Galatians 3, now verse 15. Watch for this as I read this. Starting in verse 15, brethren, I speak in terms of human relations, even though it's only a man's covenant. In other words, now he's talking about covenants between man and man. He's not talking about God's covenant. He's saying, even in the case of a man's covenant, when it's been ratified, nobody sets it aside and nobody adds conditions to it. You can't put it aside. You can't change it. You can't add anything to it or subtract anything to it. Now he says this in verse 16. Now the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. He does not say and to seeds as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. That is Christ. What I'm saying is this. The law, which came 430 years later, later than the Abrahamic covenant, does not invalidate a covenant previously ratified by God so as to nullify the promise. For if the inheritance is based on law, it is no longer based on promise. But God has granted it to Abraham by means of a promise. Why the law then? It was added because of transgressions having been ordained through angels by the agency of a mediator until the seed would come to whom the promise had been made. We learned up in verse 16, the promises that were spoken to Abraham were spoken to Abraham and to his seed and to Jesus, and that the Mosaic covenant is there to show sin until the time when Jesus comes, the one to whom the promises were made. So what we're gonna see today is a covenant that runs alongside of the Abrahamic covenant, doesn't change it, doesn't affect it, doesn't stop it, doesn't supersede it, it runs alongside of it for a whole different purpose. So let me just introduce you in general to the Mosaic law. It's pretty much found in Exodus 20 through Leviticus 26, and then we see it re repeated again in the book of Deuteronomy. There's three main areas of laws when you read the law. If you were to try to understand what the law is saying, you think of it this way when you read these laws. There's a civil law which relates to how people live with one another. There's a moral law that talks about how they are to relate to a holy God and how to walk with him. Then there's ceremonial laws, which have to do with how to worship a holy God. Now, it's not built in a section like this, this, and this, but you see these three kinds of laws intertwined throughout the section of the Bible as you read it. Laws that have to do with how they live with one another, how they walk with a holy God, and how they worship a holy God. That, that pretty much summarizes what these laws are about. The Abrahamic covenant was unconditional, we learned last week. God bound himself to it. It's not dependent upon the behavior of Abraham or even Israel later on. 
But God bound himself to that covenant. Irregardless, it's unconditional as God imposed these things upon himself. The Mosaic covenant is totally different. This is a conditional covenant where God put conditions upon Israel. We learned last week the covenant was made with Abraham and Abraham alone. We're going to see this week the Mosaic covenant was made with Israel through the mediator, Moses. And there's conditions that are built upon it, and that really builds the principle we want to talk about this morning. The principle of the law. And the principle that helps us understand the prophets, both their message and then we read their books, the principle that helps us understand the twists in this story as God is fulfilling his promises uh, with Abraham is simply this, as he puts this upon Israel. If you obey me, then I will bless you. If you disobey me, then I will curse you. And if you repent, then I'll restore you to blessing. If you can keep that in mind, that's the principle that drives all the prophets, all the books of the prophets. It's the reason that there's twists and turns of the story that have to do with these five promises that God made with Abraham. If you obey me, speaking to Israel, if you obey me, I'm going to bless you. If you disobey me, I'm going to curse you, which basically means I'm going to bring trouble into your life. But if you repent of your disobedience, I'm going to return you and restore you to the place of blessing. That is the principle that drove God's relationship with Israel. Turn to Leviticus 26. I want you to see it. If you would uh, this week three or four times read over Leviticus 26 and Deuteronomy 28, you're going to have you're going to be so equipped and ready to handle the Old Testament because you'll see the not only the principle but the particular blessings that God attaches with obedience, the particular disciplines or curses or trouble he attaches with disobedience. And so as you read through the prophets, you're going to start to see these things popping all over the place. Whoa, that's what's going on. So in Leviticus 26, we started back in Exodus 20. He started giving us these commands, these civil commands, these moral commands, these commands that have to do with God and ceremonial worship of him. And then we come to Leviticus 26, verse 2, where he begins to lay out the principle after giving these particular commands. Listen to what he says in verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commands so as to carry them out, then I shall give you rain in their season so that the land will yield its produce and the trees of the field will bear their fruit. Then he goes on and talks about the land. Remember, that's one of the promises. One of the, you know, the land is a big part of the story. A lot of people say, yeah, it's just the land. This is a big part of God's story, past, present, and future. 
And what God says right here is if you obey me right there in the land, you're going to be fruitful. You're going to have peace in the land. The wild beasts will be eliminated from the land. You're going to have no wars. You're going to defeat your enemies. And God is going to be their God. And then he says this in verse 9. So I will turn toward you and make you fruitful and multiply you. And I will confirm my covenant with you. Confirm means to carry it out, bring it about. But then in verse 14, we see the other side of the story. And that's this, the second part of the principle. If you obey me, I'm going to bring all these blessings in your life. But if you disobey me, listen to what's going to happen. This starts in verse 14. But if you do not obey me and do not carry out all these commandments... If instead you reject my statutes and if your soul abhors my ordinances so as not to carry out all my commandments and so to break my covenant, I in turn will do this to you. I will appoint over you a sudden terror, consumption and fever that will waste away the eyes and cause the soul to pine away. Also you will sow your seed uselessly for your enemies will eat it up. I will set my face against you so that you will be struck down before your enemies and those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee when no one is pursuing you. <laughs> Two gigantic differences then goes on to establish throughout this chapter more particulars of the way that God is going to deal with them if they disobey him. Now, what I love in this chapter is God's grace. Because even in his discipline, we see his grace over and over again. And I think this is a great parenting principle for those who have children. Because what we see as we read through this chapter, God brings the lightest discipline first. And if they don't respond to that, then he wrenches it up a little bit more. And if they still won't respond, you know, God's always looking for them to repent, bringing the least amount of pressure as possible first. But if they don't repent to that, then he got to put on the screws a little bit tighter. And if they still don't repent to that, he keeps on doing it tighter and tighter and tighter until he gets to the ultimate discipline. So look at that. Let me show it to you again. You want to get to know this chapter. Look at down in verse 21. If then you act with hostility against me and are unwilling to obey me, I will increase the plague on you seven times according to your sins. And he starts to talk again. I'm, I'm going I'm to let loose among you the beast of the field, which will bereave you of children and destroy your cattle and reduce your numbers so that your roads lie deserted. Then verse 3, and if by these things you are not turned to me, but act with hostility against me, then I will act with hostility against you, and I, even I, will strike you seven times for your sins. Talks about bringing the sword on them, uh, which will execute vengeance for the covenant, and goes on and on. And then you go again down to verse twenty. Seven. Yet if in spite of this, I keep bringing more and more, and yet in spite of this, 
if you do not obey me, but I act with hostility against me, then I will act with wrathful hostility against you, and I, even I, will punish you seven times for your sins. God keeps on, it's like putting the pressure seven times stronger each time, and keeps on increasing it, and keeps on seeking to bring them to the place of repentance. But then you find down, as you read down in verse 32, and this becomes clear in Deuteronomy 28, the ultimate discipline. This is it. This is the last one. This is, this is coming in as tight as they can to call them to repentance. In verse 32, I will make the land desolate so that your enemies will settle in it that your enemies who settle in it will be appalled over it. You, however, I will scatter among the nations and will draw out, draw out a sword after you as your land becomes desolate and your cities become waste. The ultimate discipline, I'm going to remove you from the land that I gave you. I'm going to scatter you among the nations. This is captivity. And those of you that are familiar with the story of the Old Testament, that's exactly what happened to Israel because of their breaking of the covenant. They were removed from the land and they went to Assyria into captivity. And it's the same thing that happened to Judah, the southern kingdom, as they were disciplined for breaking the covenant and they were removed from the land and went to Babylonia into captivity for 70 years. You know, just one thing we see here is this. Some people read the Old Testament and they see these things happening and they think, man, God's a pretty angry God. He's, he's a very wrathful God or he's a very mean God. And some people try to rearrange these stories thinking, you know, this doesn't sound good. This doesn't reflect good on God. But here's the reality. We learned this. God is a covenant-keeping God. God had to do this because he bound himself by covenant that if they disobeyed, this is what he was going to do with them. But we continue to see his grace as we read down in this chapter of chapter 26. Look at verse 40. And listen to what God says. If they confess their iniquity, remember, if you obey, there's all these blessings. You disobey, here's all this trouble that's going to come your way. But if you confess your iniquity, if you repent of your iniquity and the iniquity of your forefathers and their unfaithfulness, which they committed against me, and also in their acting with hostility against me, I also was acting with hostility against him. That's God to bring them into the land of their enemies, or if their uncircumcised heart becomes humble so that they then make amends for their iniquity, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob. I will remember also my covenant with Isaac. I'll remember my covenant with Abraham as well. And I will remember the land. You know, he made the, the covenant with Abraham. He reconfirmed it with Isaac and Jacob, as you know, as his children. 
as it went on, and he's saying, when God says, when this happens, I'm going to remember that promise I made, those promises that I made, particularly about the land and blessing them in the land and the nation being there. He says, I'm going to remember my covenant that I made with Abraham, for the land will be abandoned by them and will make up for the Sabbaths while it is made desolate without them. They, meanwhile, will be making amends for their iniquity because they rejected my ordinance and their souls abhorred my statutes. This is important. Mark this one in your Bible. Yet in spite of this, when they are in the land of their enemies, why would they be there? Because God's ultimate discipline, he sought to break them, they wouldn't repent. So when they're in the land of their enemies, I will not reject them, nor will I so abhor them as to destroy them, breaking my covenant with them. For I am the Lord their God. But I will remember for them the covenant with their ancestors whom I brought out of the land of Egypt in the sight of the nations, that I might be their God. I am the Lord. You know, God is saying this. I'm going to spank them. I'm going to discipline them, but I'm not going to totally reject them. I'm not going to bring them to an end because then I would forget my covenant. I'd break my covenant if I totally rejected them. So we see God in his grace disciplining Israel strongly and getting stronger all the time, but he says, I'm not gonna go to the point to forget you, to reject you, to forget my covenant. I'm not going to go that far, but I am gonna spank you for, for not obeying me. And so, when we read the Old Testament story and God fulfilling these five promises that he made, the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs come in because of this principle that God made with Israel, that when you, you obey me, I'm gonna bless you. When you disobey me, I'm gonna bring trouble into your life. And if you repent, I'm gonna restore you to the place of blessing. And that explains the ministry of the prophets. Turn to um, second, I think it's second Kings. Yes, yeah, second Kings chapter 17. I want you to see this because when you understand this is what the prophets were doing, now when you read all the prophets, you go, oh, that's what this is about. Second Kings chapter 17 will be in verse 13 as we're gonna learn what the ministry of the prophets was. Verse 13, yet the Lord warned Israel and Judah through all his prophets and every seer saying, turn from your evil way and keep my commandments, my statutes, according to all the law which I commanded your fathers and which I sent to you through my servants, the prophets. However, you did not listen, but stiffened their neck like their fathers who did not believe in the Lord their God, they rejected his statutes and his covenant, which he made with their fathers, and his warning with which he warned them. And they followed vanity and became vain, and went after the nations which surrounded them concerning which the Lord had commanded them not to do. 
So we hear the ministry of the prophets to warn the people, guys, don't go there. You're breaking God's covenant. Repent. Return, God will bless you. But they didn't listen. They hardened their heart. They rejected it. And then we see down in verse 22, the sons of Israel walked in all the sins of Jeroboam, which he did, and they did not depart from them. They refused to repent until the Lord removed Israel from his sight as he spoke through all his servants, the prophets. So Israel was carried away into exile from their own land to Assyria until this day. God being faithful to his covenant promises. Israel refusing to obey him. The prophets going to them and saying, guys, this is the way, this is what the prophets did. When you read the books, when you listen to them, they're pointing out their sins. This is how you guys are breaking the covenant. And what are the sins he's pointing out? He goes back to the laws that we learned in Leviticus 20, I'm sorry, in Exodus 20 through Leviticus 26, and he's pointing out those particular laws that they, uh, they broke, and he's calling them to repent so that they can get the blessings that we learned about in Deuteronomy 28 and Leviticus 26 so that these blessings can be on you. So the prophets are calling him out and saying, look at guys, you're sinning. Look at what you're doing. God's going to bring his wrath upon you. He's going to judge you. Repent. Return to the Lord so he can bless you with these blessings. That's the ministry of the prophets. When you read through the prophets, that's it. This is the story of the Old Testament. God fulfilling these five promises, but carrying out the principle that he laid out with Israel, which causes these ups and downs and twists and turns in the story. And we see it throughout the history. As you read Judges, what, what they call the cycle of Judges, what happened? The people disobeyed. God disciplined them. They repented before God. And then God sent them a deliverer to bless them and set them free again and put them in a place of blessing. And then what happened? Well, then they got into a place of disobedience again. And God brought the discipline in their lives. And then when they saw the blister and pressure, they called out to God and they repented. What did God do? He brought a deliverance. the cycle of the book of Judges. It's all built on this principle. You go on and you'll find out that Solomon broke the covenant. And as a result of that, Israel was broken into two nations, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom, Israel and Judah. And as you read through the prophets, the prophets are warning Israel that you've broken the covenant and God's judgment is gonna come upon you and if you don't return, you're gonna go into captivity. And what happened? Israel didn't repent. God carried out his word. They didn't listen to the prophets as they took the message of the Mosaic covenant. And as we just read, they ended up in captivity. Jeremiah was written to the southern kingdom. He said, look at, look at what happened to Israel, the northern kingdom. And you guys are worse than them. Look, here's an object lesson for you. Look at what happened. Listen to me. And the prophet Jeremiah is calling back on the southern kingdom, pointing out their sin. You've broken the covenant. Repent so God can bring you blessing. And if you don't, you're going to go into captivity. So what did the southern kingdom do? They didn't listen to the prophets. They didn't repent, and they as well, just like the covenant said, had the ultimate discipline 
of being scattered into Babylon. Just because of time, I'm not going to do this, but you need to read Daniel chapter 9 because that's when uh, Daniel in Babylon was reading the book of Jeremiah and recognized that God said this discipline was going to last for 70 years. And so Jeremiah, when he prays, he uses the covenant. He says, God, you're a faithful God who keeps your covenant and we've sinned against you. And he's confessing the sin and the repentance of the people. And as a result of that, we have the book of Ezra where we see God restoring them out of captivity back into the land. When you read Nehemiah chapter one, the same thing, Nehemiah is referring to the covenant that God made with Israel and said, God, we broke this covenant. Uh, me, my fathers, of our forefathers, we've sinned. We got what we deserve. But God, I'm here to confess our sins. And, and they rebuilt the walls. The story of the Old Testament is driven by God fulfilling these promises with his people. And the twists and the turns and the ups and the downs come as we understand this principle of the Mosaic Law. Now, I, I want to finish by applying this for us today. You know, um, we, two truths about the Mosaic Covenant is one, we, it, it really, we saw in Galatians 3, at last it was made with Israel, and it lasted until the coming of Christ. The seed, the Messiah, the Christ, the one who was promised and in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 and 9, I think I have this on a PowerPoint for you to see. You see that the law is actually good and still useful today. Even though it ended at the cross in Jesus, there's still a useful use of the law. And listen to this. But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Realizing the fact the law is not made for a righteous person, but for those who are lawless and rebellious. The law, especially the Ten Commandments and the moral laws, are a tremendous tool to use to help people see their sinfulness and their need for Jesus. Romans 3 tells us that through the law comes the knowledge of sin. We learn in Romans 7 as he details out more about the law and the, how the, uh, Paul even saw the depth of his sinfulness and slavery through the law. And so the law is still useful, not in the sense of Christians living by the law, but using that as a tool to help people who don't know Jesus see how they're separated from God and the way that they've sinned because the law reveals sin. But this is my concern for Christians today. I see this over and over again. We take the New Testament commands and we attach the principle of the law to it. See, they had the Old Testament commands of Moses. We take the New Testament, so what do we say? Well, if I obey these commands, then God will bless me. And if I disobey them, God will curse me. God will bring trouble in my life. I've heard this over and over again from a lot of Christians. Some aren't even aware and touch with it, but that's the way they operate. And that they want to be blessed, so I, I got to obey God and his commands to be blessed. I want you to note an important distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament and the way that God operates with us today. 
as we read, I hope you notice, God brought the trouble into their life. God brought the good into their life. God supernaturally interceded into the life of Israel to bring trouble when they disobeyed and to bring blessing when they obeyed. That was an act of God. We saw that over and over again as we read. It says, I, even I'll do this to you. But in the New Testament, obedience carries its own blessing because it's the wisest way to live. God has revealed in his book a blueprint for life that is built upon God's way and God's truth. And when you live this way, you reap the benefits of living the wisest life. And when you ignore it, you reap the consequences of not living the wisest way. So what I'm trying to say is this. Today, when we find ourselves in trouble, uh, it's not because God has supernaturally intervened, you know, because I hear, you know, God must be punishing me. I hear that all the time from Christians. I must be doing something wrong. You know what? We are ignoring God's wisdom to our own hurt, and sin carries its own poison. And when we drink the Kool-Aid lace poison, we bring trouble to ourselves. So it isn't today that God is up there and so if you obey me, I'm going to make sure that everything goes good for you. And if you disobey me, I'm going to make sure that you get trouble. No, by our own choices, by our own ignoring of God's wisdom and truth, we bring trouble on ourselves or we bear the fruit and the goodness of living the wisest way possible. And when we ignore God in his way over time, you can't help but bear the consequences in your life. So when, uh, let, me, let me separate blessing and, and trouble for a minute. Old Testament blessing was conditioned upon their obedience. Guess what the scripture says in New Testament? We've already been blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. We're already blessed. So when I obey God now, I do, others, I do it out of love for God because of all the blessings he's poured into my life through Jesus Christ. And I obey him because I know it's the, ways, the wisest way to live. Why would I take a blueprint from life that came from God on how to navigate my own flesh, the world, and the devil and ignore it? <laughs> So I obey God today because it's the wisest way to live and it's out of love for God for the blessings are already poured out on me in Jesus rather than to get blessed. And when it comes to trouble, I think we need to look at it two ways. One, have I ignored God's wisdom and therefore I'm bearing the consequences in my own life? and I've created trouble for myself because I've ignored God's best way. And sometimes trouble is God's blessing wrapped up in the wrapping paper. It's a gift from God wrapped up in the wrapping paper of trouble. We read this over and over again in the New Testament, how God uses trouble and trials to grow us to build us, to make us more like Jesus, to make our faith stronger, to shape our character, to transform us from the inner being. Trouble 
is not a sign that you're in trouble with God and he's punishing you. And so many Christians, they look at their life, they see trouble and right away they think, what did I do wrong? How did I sin? God must be upset with me, you know, and so forth and so on. When many times trouble is a gift from God that he uses in our life to transform us or even sometimes to keep us from going a direction that might hurt us. I'm at a place of life when I can look back at so many troubles and I'm grateful to God. You know, when I'm going through, I'm like, oh God, you're ripping me off. This isn't fair. You know, I whine like everybody else. But when I look back, I've learned to kiss my troubles because they're the very things God has used to mold and shape me and equip me to live in this world. And we need to discern, is the trouble in my life because of my ignoring God's wisdom on how to live? Or is it even God? You got to know that even Satan, I think as Martin Luther said, that Satan is God's errand boy, that even when it's trouble created by Satan, ultimately God is using Satan as a tool to drive us to our knees, to break us, to make us more dependent upon Jesus. And he'll even use that trouble in our life. So that's trouble. And here's where we get in trouble. This is where I think most, this is what happens. We look at our outward circumstances, and if they're good, we say, God's blessing me. And if they're bad, where did God go? Where is he? He must not be blessing my life. And if our circumstances aren't as good as others, and we look around and we say, he's got more money or she's got more money, they got more things, they got bigger things, they got better things, they've got better circumstances, better health, better looks, better results, a bigger ministry, a bigger 401k, fill in the blank. We look around, we start to compare ourselves with one another. We say, God is blessing them because they got all these good things out here and he's not blessing me because I don't have it. Well, I'm going to tell you this, just as just a side note. I bet many people have all these things and their life is a mess. But I also know people have all those things and that uh, they're walking with Jesus and their life is good. It isn't dependent on the size of the pot that we have from God. That's not the issue. The issue is is the way we respond and the way we view these things. God's blessing is not found in how he's treating me or you in comparison to one another. God's blessing is found in the cross of Jesus, in the spiritual blessings that God has poured out on us. One of those blessings alone, the Holy Spirit of God lives inside of every believer in Jesus Christ. He's there to comfort us, to lead us, to equip us, to restrain us, fill in the blank. And, and you know, what a blessing to have. He's the one who gives give us discernment. What's really going on here rather than going back to the principle, well, if I'm obeying God, then I got good. If I'm disobeying, gotten bad. So if I got bad, I must be disobedient. No, the Holy Spirit helps us sort out in light of the new time of grace that we walk with Jesus Christ. There's another thing we have to look at. God's call and purpose for your life. 
Every one of us have a different call and every one of us have a different purpose on our life. And so God's got to bring different things into our life to shape and mold us, to get us ready for what he's going to do with us. And, and God's call on our life and the gifting he's given us, all these things play in to make a difference in our outward circumstances and even our inward disposition. So this is what, how our response should really be in these days. No matter what your circumstances are, first of all, gratitude to God for Jesus Christ, the seed, the Messiah, the Christ, the promised one. And for all the spiritual blessings that he's blessed upon our life that really become the core of what life is all about. Where I can say, like uh, the guy who wrote the song, can't remember his name right now, it's well with my soul, even though he's driving over in a boat the same place where his, where his kids went down and died. Gratitude should be our disposition today because God's even using our trouble to make us more like Jesus. And even, let me say this, if your trouble you're going through, because I know a lot of trouble in my life came because of my stupid, foolish choices before I knew Jesus. And there were a lot of consequences I got from my drug use and things I did that I still bear to today. God didn't do that to me. Pat did it to himself with his foolish choices. But guess what? I'm able to even take my trouble of my own making and hand it over to Jesus. And he'll use that to sanctify me and build in me and make me more like Jesus and use that in my life for those I minister to and use it to make me who he wants me to be. So I wanna encourage you today. I hope two things came out of this. One, a better understanding of this book when you read it. But I also am concerned about Christians that are still applying the principle of the Mosaic law to their way of thinking when they evaluate their life. We need to keep our eyes focused on Jesus and the gifts he's given to us through Christ. And even the fact that God said that he works all things together for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Even our trouble today, God is using to make us more like Jesus. Don't think like the Old Testament Mosaic law. Think of the new time of grace and what the New Testament teaches us of how God has blessed us and he's using everything in our life to make us more like Jesus. And even where I've messed up, turn it over to Jesus and let him use that as a tool. So Father, I just pray this morning, poured out my heart, ask that you would use it. I have a special concern today, Lord, for those who, because I hear it from so many, God's punishing me. I must have done something wrong. God's not blessing me as much as others. God, would you deal with that today by your Holy Spirit and by your truth? And Lord, would you make us a people that are grateful to Jesus for what he has done in us and what he's doing in us even today? And Father, I pray that we would be people of faith that when trouble comes, we don't start by looking at how I'm being punished or what I did wrong, but we start by trusting you and trusting the Spirit to sort us out and to give us the discernment and wisdom we need. So in Jesus' name I pray, amen.